Hello, welcome to Devs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're here to talk about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Oh, I'm almost like exhausted even just saying these words. I wrote in the announcement, <laughs> the announcement that is in the, the GFC Discord is, I don't even know how to write this announcement. It's the new Marvel movie. You get it. I get it. We're going to talk about it. Let's go. Like, <laughs> Yep. Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games and sometimes movies because you you know you skipped over the part that we usually do here. Oh, you're right. Oh my God, what did I? <laughs> it's what okay. What did I say? You just went into the topic. <laughs> you're right. I did. I, yeah, I. Just, we're gonna talk yeah, about Wakanda okay. forever. I, I'll talk about this more in the back half. I just got done working 13 days in a row, so I'm a little fried. Um. Anyway. Uh. Uh. Yes, we're talking about Wakanda, 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 Wakanda forever. <laughs> So, buddy, what are you? What are your? What are your base thoughts? What are your pre-spoiler <laughs> thoughts? I think Wakanda Forever is sort of fine. It is. It is better than a lot of the other stuff that I've seen this year, but worse than some of the other stuff as well. Um, I ultimately feel personally like disappointed. Right? Like this is this is me talking on the scale of did I like it or did I did I not like it? I didn't really like Wakanda Forever. It didn't connect with me, and I think that's mostly the weight of expectations. I really liked the first Black Panther, um, so this one falling short is i don't want to say like painful but it does sort of suck um and i'm not and i'm not super i'm not super like jazzed on the movie but i will say that i do think that it is i think it's ultimately less than the sum of its parts is really what it comes down to um it's a film that i i think has a lot of component parts that i would pick out individually and i say oh i like this i like that um this worked really well for me, right? And there's a bunch of stuff that I'm sure over the course of this, I am going to note as things that that I think were really, you know, like strong and clever creative choices. However, uh, ultimately, those those pieces never quite gelled into the cohesive hold that I wanted from them. So even though I think it's ultimately pretty fine and like bordering on good, it, it is better than all the other Marvel movies. I'll just, I'll make that claim here. It's better than all the other Marvel movies I've seen this year. Right. Um, maybe even in the last two years, we'll see where it plays out in kind of like the overall list. Um, but it is, uh, it is not, it is one of my least favorites of them just because I found it to be so disappointing. Yep. No, I, I, I know how you feel. Um, I am basically on the same page as you, I think. Um, I, I would describe it as pleasant, but forgettable. Um, uh, and I did, you know, like, I had a decent time while I was watching it. To your point, though, I did not like the first Black Panther as much as you did. Um, and I do think it was worse than the first movie, or the first the first Black Panther. But um, to, your, to your point about being less than some of its parts, the, the thing that it felt to me is it felt like not a lot happened for a movie that was so goddamn long. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is that is a huge deal. Yeah, I mean to be to be clear about where I, I the first Black Panther is my second favorite Marvel movie. My number one Marvel movie is Avengers: Age of Ultron. My number two is Black Panther. I really loved the first Black Panther. I think I think it was a lot of things. It is it, it is maybe the pinnacle, I guess, of the solo movies. Right? What what do I want from a solo Marvel movie about one individual hero? Black Panther is a very good example of that. I felt like that movie was just packed to the gills with stuff for me to sort of to 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 uh, kind of bite down on. Um, Wakanda Forever did not have that. 
uh, it definitely felt hollow. It definitely felt empty. Um, and there were a lot of like little problems that, that got on my nerves. Yeah. Um, what else would I, would I say about this in the, in the, in the pre-spoiler section? Um, like, uh, I, th- I think I mostly agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a lot else that I want to say in this. This uh, okay. One thing I do want to I do one thing I do want to mention for anybody out there who wants to see Marvel movies as like a do I need to keep up with this? Do I need to see this in the theater? I would actually think I think I recommended seeing Thor: Love and Thunder in the theater, maybe, but I would probably stand against that recommendation now for. Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I think I think at this point I'm I'm pretty comfortable to say if you care about like the the overall Marvel continuity, you probably are gonna want to just wait for it to come out on Disney Plus. Like I don't know that I think it's worth a movie ticket. Um particularly because it was not a movie that felt, you know, like theater, like I needed to see it in the theater, um, in the same way that other other movies are. Black Adam, for instance, great movie watching performance or like like it was super fun to watch that in a theater. I think it was a well-made movie for the theater, right? What kind of forever? I don't think was. I think I mostly agree with that. The only thing I'd say is is that I don't know what the timeline is for this kind of thing, but if like this movie seems like it's all set up for other plot lines coming down the pike. Like that's part of sure. why why I feel like you know not a lot happened in this movie is because a lot of it's a lot of it's kind of like threads to pull on later down the line, and so yeah. you know if I don't think any of the movies that I know that are coming out are going to pull on those threads particularly hard, so maybe you don't have to worry about it. But that's uh, that's that. The only other thing I want to say before we get to is just to mirror what you were saying about um, comparatively. I think this is the be- I agree with you. This is the best Marvel movie I think that's come out this year. Um, on the flip side, I still think it's worth the DC League of Super Pets. So, you know, that's that's yep. still my high watermark for superhero movies uh, for the year. Yeah, well, interesting. I think it's worse than all the DC movies. I like, well, that's not true. I think Black Adam is actually a worse movie that I liked better, right? Yeah, but, no, yeah. I, I think I think, that, I think you could, I think you could reasonably call it a toss-up there, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I liked the Batman better, and I like DC League of Super Pets better, both of those, so, yeah. No. But it is better than Multiverse of Madness and Thor: Love and Thunder, um, easily. Yeah, easily. So, and then, but the interesting one, I like. I think it's worse than Black Widow, which was last year. I think it's worse than Shang Chi, probably. Um, but I, it's better than Eternals. I think is what I would say. Yeah, it's definitely better than Eternals. So I, so if like Black Widow is like mediocre and annoying. Or no, uh, Black Widow's mediocre and annoying. Black Panther is like pleasant but forgettable. So like, only a couple notches notches up, but over the line. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So let's uh, I guess get into spoilers territory. Here's your spoiler warning. If you'd like to see Wakanda forever um, without being spoiled, this is your opportunity to, to dip out. Uh, so uh, do that now. Three, two, one. Spoilers. So, um, I guess the first thing I want to say is that like. Something they did that I think was very good was Chadwick Boseman only appears in, like, a tribute reel at the start of the movie. I was afraid that they were going to put his, like, you know, stitch his face onto something. Um, or, like, you know, even even if, like, he, like, came in for a scene, like, of him dying right before he actually died. Like, I think that would have been ghoulish, right? Like, I think, I think they handled it tastefully, which, you know, obviously this is, this is tertiary to the actual movie, but, like, 
I think that it's I think they handled it well. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I personally felt it was heavy handed, but I think the, the sort of this. Uh, so to me, it felt like it was overbearing in a way that annoyed me. Right. Um, or not, not it, like, I guess it just sort of felt like, um, maybe it is a little ghoulish in, in my estimation. So, so this is really sort of the feeling I got, which was like, it's a little weird and crass that a real person died, a real human actor died, right? And the Disney Corporation is like sort of farming his character so hard in their in their movie. But I think that's a really cynical, shitty take is the thing, right? Um, so I kind of disagree with myself, but that is, that is my that was my gut feeling was there were a lot of flashbacks, these like kind of loving flashbacks to to like honestly pretty innocuous moments from the from Chadwick Boseman in the original Black Black Panther movie and I think that there is a certain threshold of those that would be considered tasteful and in my estimation it was over the line um it was not so crass to be, as to be something like <sighs> resurrecting princess leia in episode 9 is maybe the worst example yeah. i can think of I don't know what what has there been any other like really bad examples of like the the see the guy I don't know some the, like not all of these track super well for instance the guy who played Admiral Tarkov or not Admiral Tarkov Admiral Tarkin in Star Wars um, was resurrected for Rogue One but that guy died in the eighties right yeah. you know what I mean like he he died forty years ago uh, and sure no, I, like I would say like I would say like you know Grand Admiral Tarkin is like a really like I, he has this that that incredibly iconic face. Everybody everybody like sees him. It was nice to kind of like bring him back or whatever. But like, the body is cold at that point. Right. Right. Chadwick Boseman really, really did just like just die, and he was a person that did just more than Black Panther. And I don't know. It, like there's 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 a certain level of um, uh, of reverence to be expected. And I guess I would say that it succeeded that in my in my yeah. Mind. I mean. So I, I feel like unless you don't want to do a Black Panther movie, like there's it's it's gonna be like you can't just like you can't Don Cheadle him or uh, yes absolutely. Terrence Howard him you can't Terrence Howard him right you can't have like that would be you know I, I joked about this before it'd be great if like you know like the Black Panther took off the mask and just Terrence Howard is under the mask and they pretended like it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> that it was you know, that it never happened because you you can't do that right like because that's like that's also kind of terrible. And to me, it seemed like, you know, there were uh, – it felt like there were not very many moments when they actually, like, did these flashbacks, which I th I thought it, they kept were relatively conservative. And the big moment was non-diegetic, as it were, right? It was in that opening mm. reel. It was the same thing they did with um, uh, Stan Lee, right? Like they did well, the okay, okay. So that's true, but it's also in the – the, the, the one that pissed me off, I think, really, is at the very end of the movie, the very, very, very end of the movie, right, is – Sheree has like this, you know, like like her funeral gown or whatever, and she like goes and she burns it, and then it plays this sort of clip show of clips from him in the in the original Black Panther. And I think if I had liked the movie more, if the movie had built to that moment diegetically better, I would have enjoyed it, right? 
Um, but because the movie kind of failed to sell me on that character drama between Shuri and her brother and her own sort of arc and her own, you know, like demons that she's struggling and what she really kind of like needs to kind of get over when it comes to like her anger or her grief or whatever. Right. I, I think it failed on those fronts and therefore I wasn't really connected to it, but like there's maybe a version of things where that stuff is done better. Maybe, you know, I, I, I don't know what I would diagnose as the problem there, but if that problem were solved, I would maybe sort of think that these flashbacks were um good and tasteful uh but i don't know that was that that was the part where i felt like it was it was over the line okay see that's interesting because the only part that, that stuck out to me like as being like even potentially close to that was was that in the post credit scene the the flashback no. No? okay mm -mm. it was it was the final scene of the movie okay yeah the, the post credit scene where they reveal that he has like a son that felt a little weird to me, but that also felt like sufficiently just kind of like, and this is something in service of the story, so don't worry too much about it, right? Like, that it didn't yeah. bother me too much, but like, I I disagree with you. I, I think I just disagree that that I, that it felt bad, right? Like, yeah. None of I it, mean, to be fair, that's totally fair. I sort of disagree with myself. Like I said, yeah. I think that's a really shitty, cynical take, but it is my feeling. So I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't do anything more than articulate it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I came out of it thinking that it felt like a moving tribute from the director rather than from the Disney corporation, right? Like a cynical exploitation by the Disney yeah, corporation. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, okay, so now that we're past that little bit, uh, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, what's this movie? Uh, man, uh, maybe maybe just like some like best. I, okay, so I want to talk about that that core arc because this is really where I think the movie sort of fails to, to kind of grip me. And I think... I don't know where this came from. I don't know why the Wakanda Forever decided to kind of center itself on Shuri, but I think either Letitia Wright is not a good enough actress to carry this, or the character wasn't written well enough to, to carry this, right? Um, but overall, it just... Um, you know, it seemed like the, the core of the movie was about sort of this anger and this grief that she was feeling um, and how that grief was threatening to turn her into a like a terrible person. Um, but I ultimately think that the film was really hollow. It really didn't. It was not actually interested in those character stakes at all. It really only paid lip service to them. And so all of the moments of big drama fell flat and the what would otherwise be a pretty cathartic climax um ended up being really lame and i think that the climax was lame for other reasons too um the most kind of the the weirdest of them is a kind of a question of scale right yeah no I um but like uh, just on the raw character level of you know shuri is a character who has to you're right like okay sorry let, let, to, to to put this in other terms you know, maybe just to make the obvious comparison, right? There's a movie featuring Namor. Let's talk about let's let's talk about Aquaman. In Aquaman, the character arc that character has to go through is incredibly simple. It's one that you know we talked about this has been going on. He's literally King Arthur, right? He is a he is a humble king who is unworthy of the throne and needs to learn to take responsibility for himself in order to become worthy of you know like of taking up the mantle of, of of king defeating his brother and becoming king of and becoming king of Atlantis and the reason that the anime fight works at the end of Aquaman where where Aquaman fights Orm on like the the destroyed you know submarine up uh, up in the rain or whatever is because that character arc works right like 
even it's it's basic stuff. It is really not hard. I, I don't. I'm not trying to oversell Aquaman. Aquaman is some like you know perfect piece of media, right? But the fundamentals are are there. Where this is someone who displays a poor who displays poor judgment and poor character realizes that he was wrong, that he was putting other people in danger and that that was an incorrect way to approach the world takes responsibility for his own mistakes, grows changes. And when he confronts the same person who defeated him when he was arrogant and reckless, now he has the skills and character necessary in order to defeat that person. The same sort of thing is, is, is supposed to be happening in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and it's not. And the reason it's not is because the movie doesn't want is 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 treating Shuri with kids' gloves, right? Shuri is not is not displaying the reckless danger, right? That she is sort of pretending to. And therefore, the character arc, which should be one where, you know, she is making mistakes, she is, you know, making decisions that are that are threatening herself and her kingdom because of her grief, right? And the thing that she really needs to conquer is this grief, right? And the question that she needs to answer is whether or not the grief will drive her to become, you know, a good person or, or a bad person. All of that stuff falls flat because she is never at danger of becoming a bad person, right? All of the bad decisions in the film get made by other people. So Shuri is off the hook for, you know, letting her grief get in the way. And in fact, she's a pretty passive protagonist in the first place. Most of the decisions that are being made in the first half of the film are being made on behalf of her by other people. And they are suffering the consequences of those actions, not her. So kind of when the back half of the movie centers her as, yep, she's the Black Panther. You know, she's the movie's protagonist. This is what her shit is about, right? Like all that stuff just doesn't work. Does that make sense? That's yeah, my, no. just my like. A yeah. Absolutely. I, I think I've got like a slightly different angle on on how why it happens that way. But I, I agree with you 100%. I was going to say like the biggest flaw is she never has the moment. Like, you know, the structure for this is you know person comes in they reject the call or whatever and or you know or they they do a thing and then they do the they do the bad thing and the bad thing blows up in their face and they learn from doing the bad thing that they should instead do the good thing right like to your point she you know has what i think was like a really clever reuse of killmonger right like a well-loved villain that like oh i love that that, that is the greatest moment in the yeah. movie yes absolutely you know what that need, that need to happen like a half an hour earlier and then she needed mm -hmm. to go like do something stupid and have it blow back on her and then when she, and then you get the right moment where like you know like you know you have um is Mbaku the name of the leader of the the, the ape tribe? Man ape is, is mm -hmm. yeah. Then you have him be like, "Shuri, this is not you know not good, right?" And then like then when she's got Namor at knife point, then her mother can talk to her, and then it feels then it would be uh, a a full kind of arc. I think the yeah, or you know she does something shitty beforehand, and then she has this talk with Killmonger, and Killmonger congratulates her about it, yeah. and says that was cool, and she realizes, oh god, I'm getting complimented by the villain. That kind of fucking yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's, you know right, you're right, you're absolutely right. There's multiple ways to play this, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is, is I think is they were trying to do too much, right? Like I don't think Riri Williams needed to be in this film, um, and I also I also think she wasn't well utilized in it either. Right, like I think yep. she has like a couple moments, and that's it. I also like I would have liked to see Riri Williams explored more in a kind of her like character's relationship to Tony Stark, which didn't happen. Right, like just kind of shows up apparently is like, just like built a suit like Iron Man suit or whatever. Right, like that's fine. We don't this Thunderbolt Ross arc. 
or not Thunderbolt, um, General Everett, Everett Ross. Everett Ross, right? Like that didn't need to be in the movie. I was, I thought it was cool that Julia Louis Dreyfus was there. I was like, that's cool casting, right? Like it's like this looks like it's, they're trying to kind of do a Veep thing, right? Like this seems really cool. Um, and then they do nothing with it, right? Like maybe it'll come back later. Um, yeah, th so this is other world-building stuff, right? Yeah. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the person who is recruiting all of the people to the Dark Avengers that we're assuming um, is is coming in the not-too-distant future. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, and, you know, and, but, like, that could have worked in, like, a post credit scene, right? Like, that, that would have been classic, you know, post credit scene material, yeah. right? It's, like... You know, you have it mirror the the freaking um, Samuel L. Jackson one. Obviously, you know, there's they wanted to do the the heartfelt thing for for Chadwick, right? Um, but I guess. I but also, and, and I, so I was hoping there was more to that. I actually quite liked that interaction and that stuff that I was like, this actually kind of makes sense as a little bit of a C-plot to cut to, right? What's going on with kind of Everett Ross? Um, obviously, we're setting up this political shit with the UN, with, you know, the, because the, the movie starts in the UN. Okay, people in the world are going after vibranium. A bunch of U.S. divers are trying to mine vibranium from the ocean or whatever. But that all gets dropped as soon as Namor enters the picture, right? Right. Um, and and sort of then the whole movie just becomes about Wakanda versus uh, Talokan and never materializes in a real in a real way past that. Yeah, I, I think they should have picked one of those two subplots. It's, I think they I think mm -hmm. they, they half asked both the Riri Williams and the um, and the Everett Ross subplots. I think they should have picked one and, and just kind of gone for it. I, I yeah I actually I liked Riri Williams but I wish she exited the movie after she was done being a MacGuffin. I thought that okay it's clever here is this you know this thing with Riri Williams she's a scientist that's who everybody is hunting for but once she is found and she is safe I think she can exit the movie and she feels like um uh you know she just kind of feels like any of these other sort of cameo superheroes right like how you know like Black Widow is in Iron Man two or something kind of along those lines right where or you know like where the character doesn't feature super heavily in the plot in the drama in the action they kind of show up they say they say hello and and they sort of fall out of the movie in the in in kind of the midpoint um when they're just like kind of no longer central to central to the drama she sort of stuck around like a like a fart. <laughs> I, was, I was like, we we can do better than this. Yeah, no, I I, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, but yeah, no, that like, I so I want to say that like, I think the CG in this movie was not great. I also wasn't good in the first one, so you know, points for consistency. Funny, funny enough, I think the CG is better than it has been in the other Marvel movies, uh, but it also has been not great. Yeah. People have been talking about this a lot that Marvel VFX has been pretty bad for a while, and I agree with that. And Black Panther, I think, kind of gets away with it because it seems less CG heavy than some of the other stuff, um, which is nice. I never got, I never got that feeling of like, it's a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people on a green screen, right? I had that all the time in Ragnarok, or not Ragnarok, in Love and Thunder. I had that all the time in the um, multiverse of in madness. Multiverse of madness, but I really never had that sort of feeling in Black Panther. But I just sort of felt like all of the scenes were 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 blocked and staged in a really boring, uninteresting way. So it like most of the, most of that stuff that was using CG wasn't using it well. I guess is what I would say. Yeah, I would say like I would generally agree with you. Except like I thought I would say that I like you know I I understand what you're saying about the feels like people on a green screen thing. Um, 
but I would say like the quality of the CG was just like, like like from a technical perspective, seemed better to me. Like anytime uh, Namor was flying, I was not happy yep. with the CG. Right, like that was like the the, the big the big kind of like this is this is not yeah. I, I in fact I think I, I do want to agree with you, and I think it's. It is, they are both versions of bad CG, but completely different ones, right? right yeah. One of them is overuse of this green screen shit to sort of make all of your stuff happen in post, and it doesn't look like anybody's, you know, you have actors talking to tennis balls, right? Like, that's that's kind of one problem. This problem is the CG characters and movements and actors are hitting this weird, uncanny valley. I also, I don't know, man, Namor... I have a lot of problems with Namor, but there's also a lot of I like about Namor. I'm very mixed on Namor in this movie. But one thing that fucks me up is that I don't think his feet wings make him fly. And I kind of hated that piece. Like, yes, it is accurate. Namor in the comics does have feet wings, but he flies like Superman. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't fly like... He, does, he, he doesn't fly because of the feet wings. And so all of the action is blocked around this idea that he's flying because of his feet wings. And I fucking hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, you know, it's clearly a point, right? That in that final fight, like, she keeps him from flying by, like, cutting, on, <laughs> cutting his foot wing, right? Like, um, is he supposed – so, like, just, just as a note, is he supposed to be, like – a mutant, mutant. Like is he supposed to be like an X Man mutant yep. style. Okay, mm -hmm. he is the very first of them, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, fa yeah. Famously, Namor, Namor is the very first mutant in Marvel Comics, um, which is because of. I, I, I'm not super versed on Namor lore, and I think a lot of the lore in here is relatively correct. In that I like the stuff with him being half human. I think is correct, right? Um, but uh, the, the most of what this movie does with Namor and Talokan is very, very different. I would go on to say that they basically completely reinvented the character of Namor for this movie, which is sort of fine. And I do like what they did, but it is incredibly different than the Namor of the comics, who I do like and miss in a way. Okay, I, I mean, I assume that like the Namor thing, like the you know, like the you know, unloved child or whatever, was was like a, a pull from the movie and not for like not for yeah. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, the, all of the stuff with it being, um, uh, you know, kind of coded as you know Mesoamerican, like you know Maya, um, this like this Maya civilization of people who went underwater, like all that stuff is invented, right? In in the comics, it's Atlantis. It's just it's just Atlantis. It's it's basically just Aquaman. But the thing, and and I don't want to make this comparison. Obviously, as a huge Aquaman fan, I wanna I wanna. I want to break this down because it's important to me and I think people are going to be dumb about it. And I want to state for the record that Namor and Aquaman are like not dissimilar characters since they are both sort of this like outcast. They both kind of have this outcast king thing going on. Right. But they are fundamentally like like the 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 stories that the characters tell and the personalities of those characters are fundamentally sort of different and reverse in a sort in a weird sort of way. Namor is actually not like Aquaman. He's more like Orm, if the, if that if that makes sense. Right. Like in in Aquaman comics, the thing about Aquaman is that it's that's a comic about responsibility and humanity or humility, right? Like he is he is a king who grew up as just a a New Englander 
you know, like the son of a lighthouse keeper who later discovers in life that he is the the heir to Atlantis. And it's those humble, it's that humble upbringing that keeps him sort of like grounded, right? And down to earth and makes it so that he is a proper, responsible, good leader for the people of Atlantis, right? Which is the same, like I said, this the, is the, the King, King Arthur, Arthur story, right? Sword yeah, of the yeah, Stone, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly, right? And Orm is the opposite, right? Orm is the prince who was raised from birth to be, you know, to be the heir to the throne of Atlantis and is haughty and is arrogant and is, like, domineering and all of those things, right? Namor is that. Like, Namor is haughty and arrogant and domineering. He's just played as a hero slash anti-hero, right? you know, kind of kind of both right like yeah. there are times when he's a villain times where he's a hero times where he's kind of like in between um rather than played as a straight villain right orm is played as a straight villain because the point of the aquaman book is that aquaman is humble and that makes him good you know namor is t tends not to be his own center character in a book but he tends to be like a supporting character and he's he's an arrogant dickhead who who you know you can go to and align with on certain ideals right and he'll fight with you for whatever reason right so for instance in the civil war comics um namor shows up in those comics to fight uh uh to fight shield because um Reed Richards' wife, who Namor is in love with, right, goes and pleads for him to intervene, and he does, right? Like, these are these are the kinds of things. He will sometimes do good things, and and he will sometimes, and he will sometimes do bad things, but the core of his character is this arrogance of being, you know, of being a world leader, of being a, of being a king, and thinking that he's better than everybody else. And to be fair, he is also super strong and, like, beats the shit out of people. So, like, he kind of is better than everybody else when you get down to it at, at a certain I was, level. I was going to say, it seems to, like, have, like, landed pretty well in this movie. Like, he, that, that definitely comes out in this character, right, in, in the movie, right? Like... Um, he, uh, okay, does it? Okay. I don't know that I got that same level of arrogance, I guess. I got, you know what I mean? I got some of it just felt pretty well-deserved, right? Like, he does infiltrate Wakanda, right? And, like, you know, he does, like, you know, kind of does what he wants, right? And it's like, you know, like, okay, the arrogance yeah. to, like, kill the queen and then be like, I'm going to be back in a week and you better be, like, kissing my feet, right? Like, you know, um... That felt like it didn't come across like he didn't play it as arrogantly, right? Like Namor does, isn't isn't like I'm the best, right? And like the way you, you you could do that type of character, but he does kind of like you know he does act arrogantly if that makes sense. At least it felt that way to me. Okay, yes, I do agree with that. I think I think really what I'm getting what I'm criticizing is this stuff that happens before he kind of has his villain turn. Okay. Right? Where, um, uh, you know, Shuri escapes and uh, Nakia murders, like, one of the people that was, that was like, watching over Shuri or whatever. And he, and he sort of decides that, like, oh, yeah, no, we're mad. We're mad about this sort of thing. Um, that, the, that piece of it is the piece that kind of bothers me on this level, right? Namor is a guy who fundamentally is this. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have, like, a, like, a... Do you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't go through any plot stuff. He is always this. He is always this arrogant in, in the comics. And so the introduction to the character being so kind of sympathetic and he's really diplomatic and 
and you know warm and trying to convince you know Shuri that like they they should work together. All that stuff felt so off and weird to me. Okay. It's like Namor is not that guy. Namor is the guy. Maybe maybe Namor would do the darker thing. Maybe Namor would do the thing where he realizes the power of Shuri and he kidnaps her against her will. But then kind of does this like Beauty and the Beast thing going on, right? Where like sure she's kidnapped. But also maybe there's more to there's more to this guy and she's trying to actually like connect with him and they do share that little like bond. But in the movie, all that stuff is reversed, right? Namor doesn't actually interact with that decision at all. It's Shuri who, who convinces the um, you know, Atuma and Namora to take it, to take her with Riri Williams to Namor. And so it's just kind of like like his agency is nowhere to be found there, right? Um, he's just kind of like rolling with those punches in a way. I, I think maybe agency is kind of like like the more I talk about it, the more I think agency is the one of the bigger problems with this film in general. Um, like there's a lot of stuff where Shuri doesn't have that agency, like I was talking about, because kind of as a protagonist, she's sort of passive at least for the first half of the movie um she's not really making any decisions of her own um and then also namor is a weirdly kind of passive antagonist right who is not making a ton of decisions just because he's acting through these flunkies through a lot of the movie as well right um which is just like those like th this is kind of like the underlying the underlying problem i guess of uh of some of these main characters in in wakanda forever Yep. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with, with, with all of that. Um, yep. Um, I did. I, so I don't really come with this with any of the Nate, like the baggage that you about, do you do about Namor? I thought, it, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was a cool hero. I thought a lot of the, the kind of like designs around that stuff was like super cool. Um, yep. like the water bombs were cool. Like the breaching whales, it's like assault creatures. I thought it was like super, super freaking cool. Um, yep. I do want to highlight though that I, I I definitely agree with you that like the the scale thing when it's like oh yeah we're gonna go out on a ship to like make this fight small like I I, I guess I get it from like a tactical perspective but like it also it felt weirdly like and then the budget came in um, type type deal to me right it, it it felt like the the cool big fight happened in the middle of the movie and kind of got glossed over right which is which is the the Atlanteans and or the Talokians. Um, uh, yeah, the t I, I don't even know what it, the the, the from the the people from Talokan, right? Invading. Yeah, there is more to. So to be clear, I did say that I mixed on Namor, and I did shit on that a lot. I don't actually think it's all that bad that he does not match the comics. Like that personally bothered me a little bit, but like at the end of the day, I think like the real issue is sort of with his. Um, like kind of with his villain turn, right? It's not like, for instance, it's not like Namor cares in particular about this one person who got murdered, right? You know, so it's not even like, you know, like like uh, to, to make a comparison to Aquaman, when Black Manta's dad died, I understand why that turns him into a villain. It's his fucking dad. When the maid that he assigned to look over Shuri died, it's like, do you really care about that? Like this, this one person is gonna like throw th throw you over the edge. Like, oh, I mean, really? I mean, so okay. The, the, I the, guess the, the way I took that was, you know, because I didn't follow, you know, because I was swayed by this, you know, by this woman instead of doing what I knew I wanted to do, which was just kill kill Riri Williams. I allowed one of my subjects to die, and that, you know, that's that's me failing as a leader, 
right? Like, which, yeah. which again is not like you know a very you know this is like a very kind of like responsible leader type thing, because um, like you know Namor's one thing is he cares about the security of his people, and that's basically it, right? Like I don't you know I don't care if you know I don't care what you do, Wakanda. I just need to make sure Atlantis is safe, and I will do whatever I need to do to to to. Uh, keep that and you know the way that this usually plays is you have the advisor who's like hardcore and like goes too far right which is what i think mm-hmm. they were trying to set up namora to do but then namora doesn't immediately kill riri and kill riri right which is like yeah i mean t- typically it's atuma uh so atuma the guy with the hammerhead shark yeah. is actually like atuma is kind of the orm to aquaman's to to Aquaman's Namor, if that makes sense, where which is that he is another like challenger for the throne of Atlantis in the comics, like he is a villain. Um, but it kind of makes sense that they're all just sort of like grouped together. Um, in you know, if you if you ever played Marvel Ultimate Alliance, you will have fought Atuma, because uh, isn't one of the levels? Uh, one of the so levels long. I think takes place takes place in Atlantis. That I'm pretty sure. Sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, like he's a very minor villain, yeah. right? But it was, it was neat that he was there. Um, anyway, so I, I will point out that naming her Namora is weird because yep. we get the origin story for his name, not for like, like, doesn't, you know, like what she's, she's not like a special person. She's just like a normal fish man or fish woman. Um, Yep, she is also like kind of an important part of, I, I don't know, do I want to say an important part of the comics? Um, I guess she's an important part of the comics, uh, you know, but she is also a half human, uh, you know, she has an Atlantean father and a human mother, maybe, maybe the reverse of that. I don't, I don't super remember, but like, yeah, so she definitely exists. So the uh, question, I guess, like, no, does Namor, is Namor like nigh immortal in the comics as well? And is this like a thing that's true of all Atlanteans or is it just, Oh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I do know that, so, the, like, you know, I obviously do know that Namor is the first mutant, but when when was he born? So he, he is, so is he the first mutant by the Marvel timeline or the first mutant, no, you know, by the, the Marvel Comics timeline, or is he the first mutant that was, like, in print? That was recognized as a mutant, or both, or neither. No, 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 no. He was. The, he's the first mutant in the in the Marvel timeline. It okay. was sort of later realized, like that was. So Namor is actually from the 1940s. Namor is one of the very first Marvel humans, okay. like Marvel um, right yeah, uh, yeah. superheroes. Yeah, and so and he and so his thing is his mother is the daughter of the emperor, right? And his father was uh, like a sea captain, right? And it is that sort of like mixing of Atlantean and human blood or whatever that created. You know that 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 means he doesn't have the blue skin, um, and that cr- kind of created his like mutant powers or whatever. And he would like go on to do stuff with you know other other characters from that time, like the Human Torch. The original Human Torch from the 1940s was you know uh, they they had a they sort of had a superhero team called the Invaders, um, which was the like it's sort of like the Avengers. But of these these superheroes from the '40s that these Marvel superheroes from the '40s that nobody fucking cares about, right? Um, uh, except for Captain America, who obviously was around at that time. So it, it was Captain America, the humans, the the Human Torch, Namor, and then I want to say a, like a a Spanish hero called something who I don't remember. Uh, but I might be I might be misremembering that. I remember there was like a bullfighter character who was like also who was also around. Uh anyway, so 
the um so that so that's sort of like the the basic story of Namor. All of this stuff with with Talo Khan is completely different, right? Like he that he's four hundred years old, right? That his mother was you know like she drank this herb. All of this stuff with vibranium, all that is completely different from the comics. So the name appears to be, oh no, that's current members. Um, uh, I would say like one of, one of the heroes apparent that's currently active on it is called the Iron Cross. Um, uh, do, do what I might be what I might be misremembering. Uh, when it Toro, comes to you're right. His name is Toro. So the Toro is a torch's sidekick. So it was the original invaders were Captain America, Bucky, the Human Torch, and his sidekick Toro, um, and Namor. Uh, and they okay. were fighting yeah, the Nazis. I, actually, I don't know that that's what I meant. Okay. Toro. Uh, whatever. Whatever the case may be. Um. There's a bunch of these guys. Oh, another one is the wizard. Everybody really likes the wizard because uh, the wizard is uh, <laughs> he wears a big yellow. He's super fast and he wears a big yellow jumpsuit and everybody it's like peeing. <laughs> <laughs> there was um oh man man this is this is like gonna so, bother me. Uh, anyway, po- point being is is he he's one of the I've seen this happen with other heroes too. Is like a hero that is ostensibly like some just like hero and they're like oh it turns out he was actually a mutant. And yep. like he follows the X Men rules, right? Like, and then and yeah, and then he becomes a member of the X Men for a while, right? Which is part of where like in the same way that Doctor Strange is really good as a side character, right? Like as this character that that pops up in other people's stories. This is where Namor shines. When Namor is a member of the X Men, right? Who is hanging out with Cyclops and Emma Frost in like a big ensemble? He works really well because he gets to be this like really just kind of like arrogant piece of shit who sometimes like says like the fucked up thing or whatever, but like he's too haughty to ever, you know, to like it's ever like whatever. it's like Deadpool, and then you, right? Like you you don't want him going through like an arc too many yes. times. You just want him yeah. to like be cracking and, lines. and you want him there so that you can have like a good person or like the heart of the team, right? Like uh, like Colossus maybe, right? Maybe Colossus will will say, "Whoa, oh, we shouldn't do that anymore. That's that's wrong. That's bad." Kind of in the way that like Colossus does that with the actual Deadpool in in his movie. It's like that kind of a thing, right? Where like Namor. Like that, that's where that's where Namor works best. Namor doesn't really work all that well when he is uh, when when he is sort of on on his own. And so I, 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 I so I do think it's fair to kind of like put him uh, to kind of put him in the villain spot um, here. And I do think that there's there's a lot about like like the iconography and and the society of Talokan that I liked you know quite a lot. Right, like the the part where he descends into that megalodon throne and he's wearing the you know the the big headdress. Right, like I think all that stuff. Is is really sweet and really cool as well as stuff like the water bombs right like all that stuff is, is great the problem with it is 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 raw scale right it is that the wakandans just break out this ship out of nowhere and then they have this whole fight on this ship which to be frank seems really fucking stupid and i'm just it's, it's like i don't want to say it's like a fridge moment because i did realize it in the theater i was just like this is so dumb why would how this whole fight the construction of this whole fight is insanely fucking dumb. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, and like, but like, there's the opportunity there to do the thing we were saying they should have done, right? Like, mm-hmm. Shuri in her quest for vengeance has like gone and like, um, has gone and like done the stupid thing and drawn all everybody into it. And, you know, like, and, and that's where you have like the moment where like, you know, you, you have like shots of like, you know, 
people like being hurt and like them being like at the edge of a knife. And then Shuri sees this, except she, you know, sees this and says, I'm not going to take my vengeance. I'm going to let Namor live and bargain for the lives of my friends or, or whatever. Right. But no, she's like six counties away. Um, and she couldn't possibly know that that was happening. Right. Like, um, uh, yeah, but yes, I, I agree with you. Like it's, I don't know. A, a lot of this, like, there's a lot that isn't like, it kind of is just like, you know, uh, unob it's not unobtainium. What's, what's the name of the metal again? Uh, uh, help me with this. Name, the name of the metal that they... Oh, vibranium? Vibranium, right. I wanted to call yeah. it unobtainium, but that's... that's, that's uh, right, 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 right. The other yeah, one. yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but the it's like vibranium means that like we've got magic Africans versus magic Mesoamericans. And like they're just going to do whatever the hell they want because vibranium means... Literally, whatever we need. Like, it is, like, so... It is so, like, deus ex machina that it's, like, not even funny. It's just, like, you know... It, it works because vibranium and it be said so, right? Like, that that's that's it. Um, yeah, and it doesn't even set up... Like, it sets up compelling interactions. One of the things that I liked about Black Panther, even though Black Panther, I also think, was a very small-scale, right, like, kind of climax, you kind of understand how a, an internal civil war on a small African country would only feature, feature you know like 100 or 200 combatants on either side, right? And you have the thing like those cloaks that turn into shields, right? Or like the guy riding the fucking war rhino. How sweet is that, right? Riding the war rhino. That's awesome. Um, but like, I, it, it just never materialized with these two. I think just because they had a hard time. I feel like they flooded Wakanda too quickly to to be good. I sort of wish that there was a world in which like maybe I don't know, they just like figured out a way to set I would have just done it again to be honest if I was them. I would just have had Namor attack Wakanda again and we get to do this thing where it, like you know the river floods and you're doing all this stuff with the flooding all over again because I think that was cool and I think that that was I think that that was sweet. The reason that it worked for something like Aquaman is because they're all underwater. It's Atlantean versus Atlanteans. So, you know, when you have Orm's army going up against the Brine King and then Aquaman shows up with all of the creatures of the sea riding the fucking kaiju and uh, like the thing and you're, and you're getting these giant wide shots of these vast armies that are like stretching across the screen right like all that stuff works at scale because it's all underwater they're all sort of fighting in the same sort of environment and you get this thing where Aquaman is riding um uh, uh like a plesiosaur or no, 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 I'm sorry. Orm is riding a plesiosaur. Aquaman is riding like a shark or something like that. And like they're, you know, like they're, they're fighting in the middle of the water. And it's essentially like, a, you know, like like Man of Steel or any of these superhero fights. It's like Hulk versus Iron Man in, in Ultron where they're just sort of fighting by the same sorts of rules. But because all of the forces of Talokan are definitionally waterbound and all of the forces of Wakanda are definitionally like surface bound there was just no good way to make a big like full-scale fight happen between them without doing this thing of flooding in wakanda and then they blow blew their wad with that early do you know what i mean yeah and didn't actually follow through yeah no i i i absolutely agree like like i said that was the best fight of the fight of the movie and it's just like i don't know there were like little things too it's like like again just to, to kind of go back because we got distracted by a tangent but it's like do all of the Atlanteans live forever? Like, obviously, there's more than, like, the, that tribe, right? Like, they obviously interbred, but, like, it doesn't appear that, like, you know, 
and they appear to be of different ages. Is like only Namor immortal? Is there a reason for that? Like, I don't need like need these answers necessarily, but I need like a, a little bit, especially when they make a point of it, right? Like, he's like, I brought the sun to my people, but what was like that's supposed to be like was that just like unobtainium again or not unobtainium vibranium again? Like, yeah, I think it was, and I didn't understand the point of it. I was like, you know, like, okay, so for instance. I was the point that he was supposed to be showing off to Shuri that that he made that he made this thing, but it's just like what is like what does this mean? Is is it is it a scientific thing? Is he trying to make the point of like I built this so that we could have light underwater, or like we could farm, we can make farms out of like algae and shit. Just all of that stuff is completely yeah. In, in the gone. moment, yeah. I think like the way it's played is I think it's supposed to be like I have made the sun. This is why the rest of the world cannot know that we exist, and I will kill this scientist girl. But like that doesn't follow, right? Like it, like I I don't understand why like that may, means that, right? Like. Um, yeah, like, I think he's just trying to show off the splendor of his, like, underwater nation, which is fine. I kind of got that. Yeah, you know, but, like, honestly, also... in the moment, I thought he was going to try and, like, convince Shuri to marry him in some sort of, like, weird political ploy. I also mm -hmm. wanted that to happen. Actually, I, I I shipped them. I was shipping them at that moment. I was like, I was like, yeah, they should fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, maybe, but, like, my, my thought was, like, that what it was going to be is, like, and I will get her hand in marriage, and then I will be able to, like, be the king of Wakanda by, like, by marriage, right? Like, we'll arrange for the queen to be assassinated. That's Crusader King's talk. Right. You've been playing too much Crusader <laughs> King's Magno. <Magdal. laughs> but, like, or, like, so, you know, like, it doesn't even need to be that you know, that's actually like, I will marry the princess Shuri and that will like cement this alliance for when we need to unite against the that, rest of the To world. be fair, that would have been an extremely, extremely Namor thing. Right. Like if the, if the crux of the movie was that Namor was pressuring her into some sort of political marriage that she was uncomfortable with and that's why she was mad and that's why like he became like the villain or whatever, all of that would have worked so well for me. I would have gotten, <laughs> I would have gotten ape shit for that. Right. But like they completely, they completely dodged, you know, all of the, those, uh, all of those problems and all of those implications, especially because they, there was no outside interference at all either, right? Like one of the things I was really wishing that that would affect them more was the political ramifications of the decisions that they were making in universe um, for like the the rest of the world, like for the French, for the, the United States, who get a bunch of featuring in kind of like the opening minutes. I was like. Putting Wakanda between a rock and a hard place of the United States as the most powerful force on the surface world, right? And what I think is going to end up being called Hammer, I think right now it's just called, it's just still S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Um, uh, or like the, it's the CIA, right, that they're, that they're, that they're dealing with or whatever. Um, and then Namor on kind of the other side. And you sort of have Shuri who is like, okay, well, I just realized that it was the right thing for me to do to like, 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 you know, T'Challa revealed Wakanda to the surface world and all of its power. And he, and, and that's a good thing. We have, we have decided that that is a good thing. That's what the whole first movie was about, right? That actually sharing and being a part of the world stage was better than, than the isolationism that Wakanda had been under. Okay, cool. I'm kind of on board with that. Um, but, oh, excuse me. Um, but it feels like, I don't know, the, the, the stuff with Namor and Shuri just like 
dominates so heavily in the second half that there's no other piece of this. There's no hard place to be stuck between. It is just dealing with this one guy and his sort of vague philosophies and threats about what he wants to do and what he wants to deal with, right? And, and ultimately, he he is not, like, rebuffed, right? He's only rebuffed insofar as, like, you know, he is forced to not, like, you know, uh, forced to not, like, like he basically like in terms of his political aims he basically wins right like yeah he got beat yeah. up by shuri but like he secured the alliance that he wants to secure he's kept his people secret and to his mind he is like he has positioned himself exactly where he wanted to be positioned he he won right like he he, yeah. he killed the queen and he won right like you know he uh he he got everything that he wanted um as as far as yeah and also it's like this is, this is also one of those things where they could have reached this solution immediately. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like how, um, you know how, how there are movies about two people who refuse to talk to one another, but the climax of the movie is that they talk. Right. And then, the, and, and like, th this is a thing that people criticize in screenwriting, right? Which yeah. is like, if two people have, you know, kind of um, complementary goals and aims, and the only thing that they need to do is talk to one another in order to come to an agreement, right? That is not enough for a movie to be made out of because there's no drama there. It yeah. just feels kind of like empty and hollow. But that's sort of what ended up happening, right? Like, you know, she she is is putting herself out there for, for the scientist, for Riri, Riri Williams, right? But like, I don't know. It just feels like they could have come to this exact conclusion with a little bit more negotiating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, I will say the only thing that he doesn't get is Riri Williams is still alive with like, I guess the promise that she won't say anything, but like, she's going to like, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to play it, but like with, especially with Everett Ross gone, there's no reason why like Julia Louis Dreyfus doesn't like pick up Riri Williams and then torture her until she tells him about the Atlanteans, right? Like, <laughs> like yep. cause like she apparently knows about like this is this is also this is a little thing that bothered me. I know like this is very nitpicky, but it feels to me that like, you know, Julia Louis Dreyfus being able to bug those beads felt like it was kind of out of nowhere. Right? Like Oh yeah. Um I mean I would have accepted it if it was like something like, you know, like you just, I, I feel like they could have, like, assuaged the part of me that, like, instinctively was like, what? With, like, a line being like, you were able to hack the Wakandan technology? No, I just put a microphone on it because, you know, you're an idiot, right? Like, like you know, that that would have worked for me, but the, you just kind of said I bugged it and, like, let it go. I was like, that feels like it shouldn't be that easy to do, um, given the state of Wakandan technology. Um, but, you know, po point being that, like, I don't feel like Riri Williams is... Uh, uh, arc is like su successfully completed, right? Because she's like, you know, she's back in America, and you know, I don't expect Disney to be like, and then we went and we kidnapped Riri Williams and tortured her because that feels like it wouldn't be very on brand. But like, that seems like it would be consistent with like what this, what this, you know, CIA, new CIA, direct, CIA director character is supposed to be. Uh, yep. Especially, uh, yep. Especially given that, like, you know, Everett is, you know. Like, for moral reasons, but he is, like, you know, he does commit treason, right? Like, you know, he he sells out state secrets because he owes a personal debt to to the Quandans. You know, moral, not a moral judgment, but he does, like, you know, commit, commit, commit like treason, as, as uh, you know, the, the line goes. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I am interested by this stuff with Julie Louis-Dreyfus, but it feels bad to to have it go so nowhere. To have just kind of nothing. nothing like it, it's just a big nothing burger. And I... On one hand, I want it to be more because I do think it's interesting, right? This is the, it's just like the Amanda Waller thing, right? Amanda Waller is a really compelling character, and I like it when she showed up in um, uh, in Black Adam, right? But like the specifics of the interaction were not ironed out well enough for me to like really be into it. And like there was, you know, like this stuff of like, oh yeah, they have this like secret fucking prison for Black Adam that they have to go like go take him to, and then he breaks out of later. Like all that stuff is just like it's it's the same sort of thing. It's like these plot cul-de-sacs that I feel like are kind of like um, that I feel like are kind of like going nowhere. Um, and they don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe in a world with the Dark Avengers actually you know coming to fruition, I will be a happier camper. So I I think the real answer there is there you like there didn't necessarily need to be more there but there needed to be like a more solid of one of the storylines and then the other storylines can just be kind of like world building for the other things right the reason yep. that feels bad is because the main storyline doesn't deliver and the Riri Williams storyline doesn't deliver and you need like I think you just need that main storyline to deliver and you can just like pass the rest off as world building but this entire movie feels just like world building. Um, I mean, even at the end, right? It's like I guess Wakanda is is going to be ruled by Mbaku now, which you know if that makes sense. I think that I think that was like a a good arc for that character. Um, um, although I guess is he supposed to like? Does the king become the Black Panther, or are they like always separate entities? Yeah, that part is unclear to me because this never happened in well they the comics that I read. But in in the first movie, like. T'Challa gets stripped of his powers before he fights M'Baku in the first movie. Right. And then... But I think the... But my question is, do, do they have to be one and the same, right? Um, and I don't know the answer to that because the only Black Panther I ever really dealt with was T'Challa. Well, so... Was, yeah. So when T'Challa... So, and then later in that movie, T'Challa gets... Loses the fight to Killmonger, right? Mm -hmm. And Killmonger becomes the Black Panther, right? As, like... That's, like, part of, like... What like part of him becoming king is he yeah, gets the black so, panther? Yeah, powers. that's true. Is does M'Baku get to drink the heart shade herb and connect with his ancestors? Because like the opening of Black Panther, he fights M'Baku and beats M'Baku, right, right? Right. Um And obviously M'Baku is supposed to be like he's he's supposed to be like, I think almost supernaturally strong, right? Because he can like mm -hmm. like obviously he doesn't win, but he like goes toe to toe with Shuri in an arm wrestling contest. Post, you know, post transformation. Yeah, and he goes toe to toe with the Atlanteans at the at the end as well. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about it. I like Mbaku a lot. Mbaku has great fucking energy, and he's like a fun addition to the cast. Um, but you know, I don't yeah, know. I feel like I I think maybe my central thesis about this movie is that it really did have a big T'Challa shaped hole in the in the in the mm. center. I think in a world where T'Challa is still here. And you have all of these secondary characters who get to be secondary characters instead of, like, having this weird thing. I almost don't even want to say Shuri is the protagonist. I feel like the protagonist for the first half of the movie is the queen, and then she dies, and then it does a protagonist swap where Shuri kind of subs in, and she has had a little bit of development, but, like, not a lot, and is trying to kind of, like, carry water across the finish line, and ultimately sort of fails and fucks up, right? And there have been movies that have done protagonist swaps, and they have done them well, right? Like, Psycho excuse me, Psycho does this, right? In Psycho, you're following the girl 
And her drama, she just sold, stole a bunch of money from her boss. She's trying to sneak out with it or whatever. She stays at this hotel. Boom, the midpoint happens. She gets murdered. Norman Bates is now our protagonist. And the question is, will Norman Bates get away with murder, right? And I think that, like, there are worlds in which you can get away with that sort of thing. Um, or, you know, you can do an ensemble story where different characters are sort of pursuing their own things in parallel with one another. The Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron do this pretty well, right? Where you have, like, a bunch of different characters, many of whom are having their own small arcs that they're going through, and they're all kind of working towards the same sort of goal. Uh, but Wakanda Forever doesn't take any of those sort of routes. It just kind of does this thing of, like, the person who's making the most decisions in the beginning of the movie is the queen. Shuri has a little bit of stuff happening to her that sets up for later. The queen dies. Shuri takes over. But, like, all of that falls flat because she hasn't been making any of the decisions that she's kind of now on the hook for. Even though it's really fucking cool that she sees Killmonger. Yeah. It's the greatest thing. I was so happy about that. Yeah. No, I, I was too. I thought that was like like the might be the single best point of the movie, like plot point of the movie. Um Yep, absolutely. It's so, it's just so, it's so unsupported by everything else. Honestly, I was kind of hoping that they were going to end up with with Shuri as kind of a more brutal um and and powerful leader, right? Like of you know, like of Wakanda, um, where you could maybe make some kind of case that she's sort of in an anti-hero place. Um, I liked the thing where he said T'Challa's too noble, right? Because T'Challa was very, like, he was a very, like, noble. He was a very good guy. He was a very paragon kind of thing. Um, and his arc was all about discovering, like, the hypocrisy of his father and all of this stuff and figuring out that actually he wants to lead Wakanda in this different way than everyone else had by revealing it to the world, right? Like, um... But I, but I sort of think a world in which Shuri ends the movie by, like, being a more uh, questionable, <coughs> excuse me, gray character would have, would have been really kind of interesting and neat. I, they, they, it's Disney, though. They don't have the balls for that shit. You, you got to sell – you got to show Shuri action figures. You can't make her an anti-hero or a villain in in the Black Panther movie, right? You can only yeah. do that with Scarlet Witch, who you character assassinate, and then a million YouTube video essays get made that are buttered about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe that's... They learned that from that? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, the, the only thing... I, like, you were saying that... I'm, I, I generally liked M'Baku, but I think he had this problem... The problem that I identify is, like... He's like... Um, in the original Mortal Kombat, the uh, uh, what's the name of the character? Um, the the main Asian character in, in Mortal Kombat. Uh, sh uh, uh, you, I'm like completely lost yeah. on this, so you're yeah. gonna have to. Explain. Anyway, point point <laughs> being is that like in some scenarios he wants to be very serious, but in the other he wants to be a comic relief character, and it can oh. feel like whiplashy between the two. Sure. Um, I I thought he had Han Solo itis right uh, in like uh, Han Solo itis being like Return of the Jedi where you know Han Solo's arc has kind of completed in the first two movies and now he really has kind of nothing to do and like he was a breakout character in the first Black Panther everybody everybody really liked him right it launched that whole guy's career that guy was kind of a nobody right and then he went on to go star in a bunch of movies because everybody liked him so much as M'Baku myself included right but the, like you can't have him occupy the same space twice in a way where he's kind of the like rival he's sort of like Vegeta right but like Don't Vegeta answer. is good at this 
And he is bad at this in this movie, right? Because he has no T'Challa to bounce off of, right? He's a Lancer without without T'Challa. He is he is Vegeta without Goku because uh, because T'Challa is gone, and he just just kind of falls flat without that like energy to sort of like bounce off of. Yeah, and you know he he can be like he can be like the wise you know kind of advisor, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know concerned about his people. He's he he is very obviously like you know the the best part about his arc is he has come into his own as like. A kingly feature, like this kingly leader, right? Yep. Somebody who who weighs the responsibilities of being a leader because he has like his own kind of like sub semi autonomous state in the Wakanda nation, right? Um, and so he fits the role of, of advisor well, right? Like as a member of the council, um, they could have just like cut out the jokes and it would have been ninety percent there, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and honestly, because it was kind of like secondary, and he doesn't like he doesn't like tell jokes to Shuri. Like, he doesn't, like, you know, verbally joust with Juri, Zuri, uh, Shuri like he would with, with T'Challa. Like, I think it's mostly okay. It just feels weird, right? It's kind Okay, of- I want to do... I, I want to talk about one one final thing uh, that bothered me. And it, it bothered me for the dumbest, pettiest reason, okay? This is, the, this is the unrealist criticism of all fucking time. But I have to do it. I have to stick up for it. Because if my grandfather would hear, he'd be so fucking pissed about this. The fact that Shuri can interpret... The language, right, that uh, Shuri can interpret the language from the people in the Yucatan Peninsula because they spoke like an old language from hundreds of from hundreds of years ago. Right. But when Nakia goes to that village, she's speaking Spanish. Right. And she's just speaking regular old normal ass like normal ass Spanish to these people is wrong and bad. And it's dumb and I'm mad about it, okay? Because that's not how languages work in the real world. We don't speak the same English that we spoke 400 years ago, right? Like, I can't go read, like, a text. And if I were to go 400 years in the past and actually have a conversation with somebody from, you know, the 1500s, I mean, 500 years ago, the 1500s in England, I would not be speaking the same language as them, I fundamentally, mean, it, it, right? it is, it is semi intelligible right like the, okay so okay so maybe it's semi-intelligible maybe it's semi-intelligible right right but and this is the thing that would just that my that my grandfather would be really pissed off about but the fact that it is a an indigenous language right like english has been a major language on the world stage for hundreds of years right right we like obviously and it and it has progressed and it has evolved but it is a first of all it is a written language right that we can go back and we can look at the written text right like i could go read a 1600s you know manuscript from shakespeare or something it would be illegible but i could still read it and recognize certain things but the fact that the, the language that they spoke in talokan was an indigenous language it would not work that way because there was a a determined extermination effort for those languages and where those languages exist and they do exist now. And the reason that he would be pissed about this is because this was specifically the work that he was doing, right. To translate the, for him, it was the, um, it was the indigenous language in the mountains of Peru, which is called Quechua, right. Until the 1960s, there was basically no real sort of back and forth. Quechua was kind of this like weird half language that got that got spoken in a million different dialects in the, in like the Andes or whatever, right? But even Quechua would not be the same language that would have been spoken during like in the like like for the 
the Inca Empire, right? Which would have been in the same place at that at that same sort of time, right? Because the act of colonization happened and like missions were set up and people were forced to learn to learn Spanish, it warped the language into this into this new, you know, like into this this completely new language. And so there would not be any data that an AI would be able to use in order to use an ancient dialect for a language that would have been exterminated by history. And that is like the biggest cinema sins ding I've ever given a movie, but I'm doing it. <laughs> but, but, but buddy, vibranium. And yeah, exactly. You know what? You know what? You're right. I do sort of appreciate that they just hand waved. Like I, I at first I had the thought I was like, didn't we sort of learn that like AIs are like weird in the in the Marvel universe? We had Ultron, we had Jarvis, who will later become the Vision. Obviously, now right? we've like, got there's, two there's Visions happening. running around or something, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Now there is a new Vision running around, right? Who is like a uh, like a a weird deterministic recreation like 3d printed version of the vision who's apparently getting like his own tv show or or you know or whatever but then they brought up where she was like i'm afraid of ais and then jury is just like don't worry mother this ai is good actually and they don't even worry about it after that i was like what is it does vibranium just make ais not go rogue like what happened with ultron you guys like didn't we learn didn't we learn that that's actually pretty no, dangerous no, but okay you, whatever, you see buddy it's the dangerous Westerners who don't know how to do what they're doing. The magical Africans can make a good AI, right? Like, yep. don't, yeah, don't, don't you know, MIT <laughs> is the equivalent of a village school, uh, buddy. Like, that, that is how so far yeah. advanced Wakanda is. <laughs> oh, you know what? This is actually a thing that bothered me, right? Like, is... I'm sure the actress that played Riri Williams is fine. Whenever she did the nerd speak thing, it felt so fake and forced. I wanted to gouge my eyes out. Like when she's <laughs> talking about like the fucking like Euler angles, I was like, "What the fuck are you doing? Just like stop, please." You, you yeah, I also just uh, I I just thought that they had no rapport. Like you know, I I liked a, I like a lot of these characters, and I think that they do work well together. Like um, even if I don't love where Shuri or Mbaku are at, I do get their chemistry, right? right. Or I get the chemistry between Shuri and Killmonger. I get the chemistry between. Okoye and um, whatever the mom's name is, Ramonia. Is that her? Is that her freaking name? Ramonda. Um, uh, you know, like, and and all of that stuff just like works on kind of like an actor, actor to actor level. But who I don't know, whoever this person is that they got for for Riri, Riri Williams, just very stiff and wooden, and couldn't, you know, it just felt very out of place. <laughs> With everybody else in this uh, in this movie, so yeah, yeah. No, that, that, there's there's some weirdness there um, that I I don't want to I don't really want to talk about because it it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable as someone who's who's not a you know an African American. Um, but like, oh sure, there, there, yeah. there's there's like a lot of like weird wish casting there that feels like kind of like you know that, that uh, again I, I don't want to touch too hard. But we are, we're kind of at the end of the. Uh, End of the episode or end of the the main segment. Uh, do you have anything else you want to close out with on Black Panther before we get to our weeks? Nope. I think we have uh, done our whole thing. All right. Well, then, buddy, how was your week? You said you were working for 13 Days Straight. I assume that was for... I was. That's true. You've got some exciting 
things that came out of that that you would like to I have no mention. exciting things to come out of that. What happened was I went to two conventions where we we showcased our games. The first was Day of the Devs in San Francisco actually in, in your in your old stomping grounds. Uh, we went to Day of the Devs in San Francisco which is hosted by I am 8bit um, and which is also hosted by uh, what the fuck is Tim Schafer's company called? Double Fine? Double Fine. Yeah, it's that. Um, which is great. Which was actually a lot of fun. I connected with a lot of people. I saw a lot of indie games up there. Um, but, you know, obviously it was... The, th the thing that sucks about it was it was fucking loud. They have you in these in these rooms where, like, there are a bunch of demos set up. And I love that. That part was great. Um, but they then they had a fucking, like, DJ. They had, like, a big stage with, like, a DJ. And he was, he was, I was like, I'm trying to explain the complicated mechanics of Estrella to these people of, like... You know how the how the game that they're about to play works, and I have to like scream over this, you know, like over this guy. And then the the second one was another was another event which was called Game Realms. Um, there's an, there's a local LA one. Game Realms is just a uh, uh, like a local game store, and they have you know like they have just a thing that features like local. Um, indie you know like indie developers can like come and show off their stuff. Nice, very cool. Um. Yep. Did did you play any games or watch anything in the, that you wanted to talk about in there? You know, I played a lot and I did watch a lot, but I don't know that I have anything in in particular I, I want to like mention or talk about in any deeper in any deeper context. Um, honestly, like uh, mostly, I was I was focused on my own shit, and I have ended the place being very tired. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm real tuckered. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for uh, for making the time to, to jump back into this. Um, but, uh, okay, so from my end, um, I watched season three of Dairy Girls, the final season of Dairy Girls. Um, still, like, there were some moments that I didn't think were great, but still a very good show. Um, I highly recommend that whole show, uh, especially just, cut, like, close eight. So, um, I guess this is kind of spoilers, but it makes sense if you've been following it. The last episode follows um, basically the characters as they vote on the day of the Good Friday Accords. Um, like because that, that was like pop like a, a a question that was put to the people of Northern Ireland as that if they wanted to accept the Good Friday Accords, um, and one of the big things is that like basically all prisoners of war on both sides were let free regardless of like what they did right like which, you know some cases was murder right which and it, it, like how these characters are dealing with it and what is it normally like a just a a, a comedy like nearly kind of like you know magical magical realism is probably too strong but like you know like a sitcom that doesn't have too much respect for like reality that kind of thing um uh that's normally the tone and obviously the, the, it's it's the last episode like each episode is six or each season is six episodes except for the third season which is seven and the seventh episode is a double length episode but i still thought it was a I thought it was a very good show i thought it was a very good ending i'd recommend it to uh anybody out there um uh, they also there is a single episode of the Great British uh, Baking Show um, that's like a holiday episode that which is the Dairy Girls characters also very fun to watch. Um, also watched a couple episodes of the Great British Baking Show because we didn't go last play or didn't cast last week. Um, there are two episodes in there, also very fun. Although you, you were kind of getting to like you know like the season finale I believe is is this Friday. Um, mm -hmm. It's the it's the finals, but it's. Uh, uh, some some high points, some low points, but it was very entertaining, uh, very good. Um, none of the like kind of like weird missteps that I'd seen in the previous uh, episodes. Nothing that really got my like my dander up. Um, 
unlike you know like the s'mores or like the or the Mexican week. Um, uh, but yeah, otherwise, so um, oh, I built I I built the final version of the hitbox in the hell yeah. yeah. Um, I've been trying to play with this. It is very fucking hard to play on this. Like I just <laughs> um, I like I play grapplers and like in practice I can do the so like the way you do. A 360 on this is you go basically like, da da da, like, and you hit the up, right? Like, and so uh, I can't really demonstrate it super well, but like, you can actually get it like pretty, pretty quick if you do like, like, that's like a 360 with a throw by hitting these two buttons. Um, and it's, I can do it pretty consistently in training, but like, actually doing it in a fight is like a, a whole other thing. And I'm just like, I need to put a lot of hours into it. Um, to, to get myself there. But, so I've been doing that. I've been playing some Strive just to try and get used to this thing because what I really want to do is want to be hitbox ready for Street Fighter Six when that comes out um, because the hitbox gives you some marginal advantages in certain situations. Um, and uh, otherwise, I've been just like burning some time with uh, uh, Call of Duty. Like the new Warzone mode comes out in a couple days and so I've kind of fallen off that a little bit. But mm -hmm. I've mostly been playing a lot of um, Soulstone Survivors. Soulstone Survivors is is funny little like you know vampire survivors like it's it's super fun. Um, it is weird because like I want to say like it's got more mechanical complexity than Vampire Survivors does, but I still don't quite like it as much. I think part of that is like so the rumor I don't know if it's true is that the guy who made Vampire Survivors. Like, he, his job before, like, the thing he did, he does for his day job is he, like, designs slot machines. Um, and you could feel that, right? Like, you know, like, like, the, 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 one of the best parts of Vampire Survivor is when you hit a multi-chest. And it's like the, like, the, like, like the noise and the bursts, like, it all feels like, oh, that feels like, that feels really good, right? Like, it, it like, yeah. like, bur like, burrows its way into, like. The, the part of a brain that like you know wants to pull like a like a, a slot machine lever, um, Soulstone Survivors is more mechanically complex, but doesn't have a lot of that like you know a lot of that 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 kind of like uh, those those, feel, those aesthetic things that really like tie it together. Still super fun. Um, uh, it's three D. It's or it's 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 a two D map. Two point five D. Yeah, two point five D. But like. Um, it's like vaguely physicsy, and you and it's got a dash, which is you know nice because it gives you invisibility. Um, it's more about like putting together like uh, like it, it. It feels like it's like the powers almost feel kind of Diablo-ish because like things like like connect in that way. Um, and there's like a whole bunch more passive powers, and like the screen gets crazy real quick. But uh, and it's also it's in early access. Um, I am kind of like pushing on like some of the edges of like uh, what's there yet, like what's what's you know what's what's left. So I'm probably gonna put it down for a while. Um, then I picked up Rogue, Le Rogue Legacy two. I played Rogue Legacy one a long time ago. Actually, I'm curious. When was the last time I uh, I played Rogue Legacy one? I, I will open. Uh, well, uh, Rogue Legacy. The last time I played Rogue Legacy was in 2013. Um, so you know, it's wow, it's been almost 10 years. Um, and I beat Rogue Legacy one. Uh, back then, um, Rogue Legacy Two, very fun, just a very solid kind of like side-scrolling action roguelike. Not much else to say about it. If you like Rogue Legacy One, you'll probably like Rogue Legacy Two. Um, yeah, um, 
I don't know if I have, uh, if I've got a lot else to, to say about my week, right? I went and saw Black, you know, Black Panther, but um, I have not- neither of us saw the the Weird Al yeah, movie, yeah. which is the movie I really wanted to see. Yeah, um. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be headed back to New Jersey uh, for for Thanksgiving, so I figure I might watch that then, um, just because, like, you know, I'll have less access to to my computer to play games on. Um, yeah. Yeah, I uh what did I play? I played a lot of Hearthstone. I I got to like level 60 in the battle pass or whatever. Um uh, but they announced the new Hearthstone expansion which is a, a frankly insane expansion. It is a it's bringing a new class, Death Knights. They're adding Death Knights to Hearthstone. Um with some really interesting kind of like mechanics behind it. Death Knights Death Knights basically have a um uh, a spec restriction so like certain cards will have a rune on them and that rune will be like so for instance one frost rune two frost runes or three frost runes right and you can construct your deck with any combination of three frost uh, uh, three runes right um and you do that for blood unholy and frost so you can have for instance a one 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 deck which would be one frost one blood one unholy a very generalist sort of deck or you could have like a two frost one unholy two blood one unholy three blood three frost three unholy sort of thing uh which is really interesting because it allows you to sort of have these really kind of codified sub decks without running into issues with like balance where you know you are printing really powerful cards for death knight and it's just like well obviously you run both of these it's like well no you have to like you if you want to run this really powerful card you have to lock into full blood and that and that like clips off all of the all of the other cards that you can like add to your deck which i think is really interesting i think that's it's a really neat sort of approach to design um and i don't know how good it's going to be obviously none of us know because we haven't played death knight yet but i am incredibly interested to see uh, to see how it plays out because it's the kind of thing that i actually think you could backfill the rest of hearthstone with and maybe find some interesting sort of like answers um to to sort of the construction uh of certain like decks and certain you know and certain archetypes um on one hand i actually kind of like it when like there are times where things in one deck type bleed over to another. So, for instance, an example of this might be um, the Warrior location, which was in the most recent set. And the location is just, it's a fixed point on the board, but it has, like, an activatable ability. Um, and the Warrior one is deal one damage to a minion and give it plus two attack. Um, you can use that location three times before it, before it like is gone basically. Well, if that normally is getting used in the in the in the aggressive enrage warrior deck, right? So enrage warrior really really likes the um, that location because it can turn on your damaged minion effects, right? Um, it gives them more attack. It lets them hit face harder, that kind of thing. But it actually also has a place in control decks because you can use it to activate execute. Right. And having three one damage pings that you can kind of just slot in whenever are is actually a really useful thing for a control deck to have for a variety of different reasons. Right. Like there's sometimes where they play a two one and you just want to kill it. Right. You don't you don't want to invest any resources. And it's not like you have any other play on turn one anyway. So you might as well just drop the location and just kind of let it sit for a while. Right. That kind of thing. Um but uh, but I think that there I think that there would be a lot to get to be gained out of uh, out of sort of creating this this sort of like deck construction restriction thing um, that would be that would be really neat and really interesting. We'll kind of see how that plays out. I don't think they would ever do that, by the way. Like the the amount of work that would go to it would be fucking insane. But I think it, I think it would be cool uh, 
kind of like nonetheless um anyway so i've just been trying to clip off that battle pass and after having played the hearthstone battle pass the hearth or the the overwatch battle pass i fucking hate the hearthstone battle pass i never want to play a battle pass ever again that has scaling experience where the amount of experience it takes to do the low levels is less than the amount of experience it takes to do the high levels 10,000 xp for every level in the overwatch battle pass has ruined me for all other battle passes it fucking sucks <laughs> fair enough uh, yeah, and then the other thing that I've been doing is playing. Uh, or I'm sorry, do you want to talk about Hearthstone stuff? No, 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 not at all. Go, go, go ahead. <laughs> okay, and then the other thing that I've been playing is uh, is Vermintide, uh, because so so. Do you know about Dark Tide coming out? Uh, yes, that's uh, that that is the Vermintide for 40k, right? Yeah, exactly. It is it is Vermintide for 40k. Um, it actually release it it fully releases in two weeks, but it pre-releases on Thursday in an open beta that everyone is pretty sure will carry over, but technically the developer has said, maybe that will cause issues and will wipe characters. We don't know yet, which is a very frustrating answer, obviously, but whatever the case may be. That, that sounds like they're going to try and carry it over, and if there's a problem, they're going to wipe characters and be like, we warned yep. you. Um, mm -hmm. It's always fun. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a set of, um, I have a set of friends, so Sarian, Nojimbu, and Serpang of WoW Raid fame, uh, and I, and we, like, we've just gone on to play a lot of Vermintide together, um, but they, they did a double experience thing, where for the last two weeks there's been double experience, and I just got addicted to leveling all of the characters in that game to, to max, um, so that has been that, like, the thing that, that I've been doing, I've been spending a lot of time doing. And also just like when you're having a really like stressful, you're working a lot or whatever, it is so cathartic to just log on and kill rats. Like, <laughs> you know, anytime that there's like a big horde of rats and I'm just swinging my sword back and forth and getting the little headshot notification or whatever, it's just like, yes, yes, this is what I want my life to be. Give me more of this. <laughs> That's how I feel about Call of Duty. Right, like, you know, it's jump into a multiplayer match, don't care too much about what I'm doing, and just, like, shoot people. Um, yeah, yeah, like, there's stuff, there's, like, other stuff I want to do and other games that I want to play, um, but I have, uh, I have not gotten, um, I just, like, have not gotten myself to, to do it. Like I can't, it's, it's very hard for me to sit down and want to play some of these, some of these other games when I really just want to brainlessly kill rats for hours on end. I know exactly how you feel. Um, <laughs> like, like we, we both talked about this before because neither of us have jumped back into Victoria, right? It's like, I don't like, I think it's got like, it, it seems like that game has its own set of problems, but like, I don't want to think like the, after that first session my head was like hurting cause I was like. Doing like you know like running through like the the decisions I had to make and like you know hitting buttons and like establishing trade routes and it's like I, I just want to shoot some people in the head. Um, I want to make people yeah. rage on. So this happens more when I'm playing with somebody because I think if you're playing with people they they like mix parties with parties. So people are more they're like I often more often hear people talking when I'm playing with other like you know other people in the party. Oh sure. And like so as long time listeners might know. I am particularly fond of the Riot Shield. It's actually pretty good in this game, and it's good on, like, certain map types. Like, you know, if you're playing Hardpoint, which is basically hold a move, it, it's a king of the hill, and it moves, right? Um, okay. Riot Shield's actually pretty good on that, right? And, like, occasionally you'll be, like, like, 
you'll you'll get someone who's be like, oh, you're so you're such a fucking asshole, right? Like it's like no skill to use the riot shield, um, or something like that. And I'll just be like, but you lost, and like they, they'll start <laughs> raising, <laughs> and they will raise so hard, and I'll be like, yes, yes, mm. <laughs> it's so bad. Mega, Mega has chosen violence. <laughs> Oh God! Holy shit! Yeah, but it's you know, it's so much fun. But uh, yeah, you know, and uh, maybe I'm a bad person for enjoying that so much. But uh, you know, I I do enjoy it uh, a ton. Um, but uh, otherwise, you know, um, oh, I mean, I guess I could talk about this a little bit it's because you mentioned Dark Tide. I picked up, and I have you can tell because I haven't unwrapped it yet. Um, but I picked up the uh, the Warhammer 40k Commander deck. The, uh, Ooh, the interesting. The oh, I, so funnily enough, uh, I had a spicy tweet about this. Yeah, no, actually, I was going to have it on the spoiler. Um, actually, yeah. I saw that, that tweet. You want you want to read it for the people at home? Because I actually have a comment. Yeah, I do. Uh, I I am interested, I guess, in in uh, talking a little about, about this. Because this, this is a new thing that came out today. The news. Hasbro stock is down because Bank of America did an independent audit of, of Hasbro's sort of piloting of Magic the Gathering, and they said that that Magic has been overprinting cards and destroying the long-term value of the business, right? Um, and this is a thing that I just saw, you know, a content creator, Tolarian Community College, he, he tweeted it out, and I responded, I say, you know, hello at me, the player who loves Commander, but fell off hard when new cards kept coming so quickly that I just couldn't be bothered to kind of uh, to kind of keep up, which is, which is a real thing, right? Like, obviously, there was a period of time where I was playing, where I was playing Magic, we were talking about it on on the cast um there was uh there was a lot of stuff that um that was coming out for you know like for magic not necessarily so, like for for commander but it was just kind of like interesting i was sort of i was sort of on board with it but we've like i fell off because magic made the the swap of one, they started featuring commander decks in every single set, which at the time I thought was a great idea, and now I hate it. And two, um, they added another set per year. So there's one set per quarter rather than three, like, like three sets per year with maybe like a, like a core set. Or they basically went from five sets a year or for four sets a year to five sets a year, right? Um, which is uh, which is complicated, right? Which is kind of complicated to go through. And actually six sets a year because technically, technically they also started doing sets that were like these special, like like the modern Horizons, you know, kind of sets, right? Yeah. Like those are extra bonus sets there, there's, that, that were coming out. So it's just like there's yeah. there's also all sorts of secret layers. Like I, I haven't been playing yep. a lot, but I've been following Toyota in community college. Um, and then there's also like the third the thirtieth year anniversary thing, which is a whole shit show. Um, and like you know, oh, see the thirtieth year anniversary. I actually like that. I that, this is a controversial opinion. I like the thirtieth anniversary. I think it's great. I'm sorry if this is happening. Orion is eating my mic. I think that that's great because you can't fucking use them. You know, like this is Brian Kibler. Brian Kibler got a lot of shit for this because he said he was like, "They're not legal game pieces. You're not allowed to use them in the fucking game." Thank God. I don't want. I don't oh, yeah. want them to print a two thousand dollar card that I feel like I have to go buy in order to like, you know, compete in in a commander in a commander game, right? Like this is something. It's a novelty for collectors. I don't want to. I don't want to to like deal with that, right? So th that's fine. I think that makes it less bad. I also think it's bad that the product that's supposed to be celebrating 30 years of Magic the Gathering is only accessible to, like, people willing to drop $1,000 on, like, a fake booster pack, essentially, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, that's basically the Tolarian Community College take, and I 
basically agree with that. That like okay, that's fair. Yeah, um, I, I I I do think I agree with it. Part of what, part of what it is is I don't have any value even as a lifelong Magic player, right? I don't have any value in that. So this is me basically saying it actually doesn't hurt me at all because I'm not a collector and therefore. I don't care about this this sort of thing, but I do think it is shitty if you are a collector, right? Like that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's not even like you're guaranteed the set, right? Like you, you, yeah. it's, it's, it's literally booster packs of fake cards. I mean, so I also think there would be a different argument if it was like there was the thousand dollar like weird proxy set, and also like a thing for like everybody. But there's not. There's just that, and then there's a secret layer that already sold out, and I think that's it. Like there's not like uh, there's not like a 30th, so 30th year celebration thing that's meant for everybody, which I think is bad community building. Funny, funny story. I, I, I actually, I don't know if she was involved with this audit, but like at, at friend of the cast, Zhao's wedding, one of the groomsmen's uh, girlfriends was like talking to me about how she was like doing a business analysis of Hasbro through magic, the gathering and, like, she was talking to me about, like, about, like, you know, about, like, what I thought about, like, the, the amount of cards they were printing. I was, like, it seems like, like you know, there's a lot of stuff there. And, like, there was that, like, double set that, like, um, like, the black and white, like, double feature, creature feature or whatever that no one liked or whatever. And it's, like, it was really weird to see that pop up today because it was, like, I wonder if that was, like, the same person that was responsible for that. She was also, like. Yeah, I have also, yeah, I, I have also heard another thing that I do echo a little bit. So, okay, part of this, part of this is that I'm coming at this from the position of a commander player, right? As a player of Commander specifically, the thing that makes Commander great as like a casual format for Magic the Gathering is that everything is legal. Everything is legal, right? You can, you you can, you, and it makes cards that are bad, like really bad. They're so slow in these other formats. It makes them, it makes them good. But the problem is once they started tapping into that kind of market for players and started printing stuff for Commander players, right? Now, all of a sudden, Commander is being flooded with cards. What, what Commander used to be about was finding the, the powerful gems in sets that are otherwise designed for straightforward magic, standard magic, basically, right? Um, you know, uh, like uh, an FNM, right, basically, is, is sort of what the paradigm for magic was kind of designed for. It's, it's designed for all of these things, right? Like, I wouldn't say it's exclusively designed for that, but for a long time, it definitely felt like you know, most of magic is designed for that sort of world. It's also designed for, for limited to a certain extent, right? Like there are certain cards that are really strong and limited, which is, which is sort of like a known quanti quantity, right? And there are little pieces here and there that pop up in kind of other, like other sort of formats, right? Like this is a really interesting card for, you know, legacy for whatever, for, for whatever sort of reason. But Commander was always sort of this redheaded stepchild of the kinds of cards that are good in Commander are just radically different than a lot of other cards in Magic, right? Um, and what I ended up with is sort of this world in which I was constantly looking at the Magic sets that were releasing with a with a really different eye. It was like, okay, let me look at all of these cards that are built for one thing and see if I can find a way to jury rig them into Commander. But now because everything feels like it is built for Commander, right, like kind of as a default almost, um, that like process of discovery is really diminished and the format is flooded with cards that that like 
dominate essentially um in a way that is like uninteresting and kind of unfun right like one of the things that used to be fun about commander and one of my favorite things about my commander deck which like you've played this deck the Eureka deck right Eureka was is is a ninja commander for a black a black blue aggressive tribal you know like tribal deck and most of those cards come from a forgotten set from you know the 2000s that everybody hated Kamigawa right um where where these ninjas are doing kind of like weird and and like and crazy things right and anytime a one a, a one blue or one black creature with some form of evasion is printed I want to throw that in the deck because it's actually it's actually like really good and that and that to me is like the perfect iteration of a commander deck where the core of the deck comes from a tribe that nobody played with from a long time ago right um, and it's supported by lots of little cards that are that are kind of evergreen in a weird way from from other different pieces, kind of like all over the place. But nowadays, I feel like when I'm talking about a commander deck, I'm talking about decks from like now, essentially, right? Um, like decks where all of the cards in that are cards that have been printed in the last four years. It's like no, like the point of commander is that I want to go back to sets that from a long time ago that nobody cares about and nobody thinks about and there's some trash legend that was only included for the vorthos players and make a whole deck around that thing supported by the archetype of all of these other sort of like blue black mill is a good example of this blue black mill is an archetype that has existed for a long time right but it has never had sort of like a critical mass of cards so in 2016 making a blue black mill commander deck was a lot of fun because you were you were including all these pieces from all over the place but then oh now all of a sudden we get it blue black mill is actually a lot of fun let's print a bunch of cards for that and now the blue black commander mill deck is all cards that came from like two sets where it was really heavily pushed in the format because they're releasing so many fucking cards and all these cards are really like built for commander anyway so i very much was like wow they're really talking about me when i saw that statistic because i haven't touched magic in a year and that's absolutely the reason why yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's weird because like I I pl actually played a a sealed um, sealed draft at work. We played like one game a week. We we all bought packs and we uh, we played one game a week. That was super fun. Um, but like that's I feel like the only like good way to enjoy Magic in a way that like doesn't have like soft rules around it. Because like you know, like I even think like I think your Eureka deck was neat and very cool. But I also think it was like pushing on the edge of, like, what you wanted the power of Commander to be without, it, like, not being fun anymore. There's obviously a little sure. bit of, a, of a, like, a self-balancing aspect there where, like, you know, it's supposed to be a multiplayer format. You know, if you bring this, like, power Eureka deck and you're really stomping at everybody else, all three people can gang up on you and make sure that, like, that's not, a, that's not as big of an issue. Um, yep. But, like, and, like... I think I think you were like like that that kind of like dances on the border of like what I would say say is okay like say is like ideal commander in terms of like you know cuz it's supposed to be like the format is designed so that it's harder to be consistent and so you can like play with like archetypes that aren't possible in normal magic cuz they have to be so refined and so tight um and you can get like as, like kind of the what you were describing is like you know the joy of like winning in this weird way where I found this cool combo because uh, you know or I, I did these cool mechanics that no one pays attention to anymore. Um, but like you said, now they're all kind of standardized, right? There are like like commander having a meta is kind of anathema to the format. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, even that Eureka deck, right? Like, part of the reason that I I actually don't know that I think the, Eure the Eureka deck is super powerful. It's definitely the most powerful of my decks, and I think I'm really good with it because, like, 
I'm a good player of, of magic in those colors and with that archetype. But part of what makes the Eureka deck good is that it preys on the meta of Commander, right? Because Commander is built on a meta of ramp. It is built on a meta of we're all ramping into turn four, five, six because we're going to drop our big bombs. And the Eureka deck is, no, I'm dropping a 1-1 one, one on turn one and I'm going to go face. And I'm going to start like blasting you for damage with a really fast. It's basically running an aggressive deck, right? It's running an aggro deck in in a format that is really, really kind of resistant against against um, uh, against aggro decks. And I think that and that's interesting and that's fine, but it's obviously why I have other commander decks that are much slower and much more built around sort of like other forms of power. I think also part of it is that, um, you know, somebody, somebody pointed this out to me and it like fucking destroyed my whole perspective of commander, which is that, um, most commander decks, uh, are about building a value engine that like, it's about building a value engine that can kill everybody because of the, the nature of the politics. And that's why politics and commander like kind of get ironed out. Right. The thing that I also find interesting uh, or to back this up, the thing that I also find interesting about commander is the nature of the politics, making a deal with someone, right. Saying I'm not going to use my piece of targeted removal to fuck you over. If you, you know, do this other sort of thing. I am going to attack you specifically, and now you are going to be angry at me specifically, and we're going to kind of brawl it out, right, while other people are sort of, like, doing other sorts of things. But essentially, with the, the point that this, this other person was making at the time was um, that the optimal way to build a commander deck is one that kills all three players at the exact same time and can be and deal with being the archenemy, right? Um, that you don't... That you don't design your commander deck around politics. You don't design your commander deck in such a way that you can engage in, polit in, in politicking. You design your commander deck to be immune to politicking, where it doesn't fucking matter. You don't have to make deals with anybody. You just attack everybody. It, like, it, it doesn't fucking matter, right? You just... You assemble your, your combo, and then you have your combo go off. It kills all three players instantaneously, and there's nothing they can, they can fucking do about it. And I was just like, God, that's true, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I think on that depressing note, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, true. If you've got any thoughts about Black Panther or any other things we talked about, on, or well, kind of forever, I guess, or any other things we talked about on this podcast, you can read us at games at gmail.com or podcasts.com. You can follow twitch.tv slash games where these go out live. We've got, we're on everywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, rate, review us. We've got uh, the SoundCloud, Patreon, uh, sometimes the YouTube. Go find all that. Um, <laughs> give us a listen. Um, the links will be in the description of something. Um, wherever you find it, the link, there are links to all the other places. Um, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything else you're looking to promote? Uh, I don't have anything I'm specifically looking to promote. I am going to be streaming on the Aquapar game stream this week. Uh, we, we had a, I, I promised the rain world community. I would stream more rain world. Um, and, uh, and so uh, I, I did a stream last week that was Buddy Gets Good playing Rain World for, you know, a bunch of people in the Rain World community. It was like 80 people. It was really funny because they're kind of backseat gaming. And I love, I kind of liked it because Rain World is a game that is all about sort of like exploration and figuring shit out. And so there were people in the chat who were like, go to drainage, go to drainage. And other people, they're like, don't go to Drainage. You're going to kill it. Like, he's going to hate it. <laughs> drainage sucks. And then I did go to Drainage, and then everyone was like, ha-ha, welcome to hell, idiot. <laughs> and then I, had to deal, then I had to deal with how much Drainage sucks. But I actually got out of Drainage by the end of it, and everyone was really impressed by that. And I was like, 
okay, maybe I'm actually getting good at Rain World. <laughs> so anyway, I promised them I would play more Rain World this week uh, on um, on the Akupara game stream. So that's what we're doing. That's 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 what we're about. When, when will that be? Uh, 11 a no no I'm sorry 10 a.m. Pacific uh, on Friday 10 a.m. Pacific on Friday. All right, we'll check out the Akupara game channel if you want to check that out. Um, but uh, if that's it, I'm going to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.